Well, hello there, stranger. <laughs> hey. This. <laughs> hey. Is that guilty little hi? This is the stunning <laughs> history of today. I'm Tess. And I'm Steph. Hi, Steph. Hi, Tess. It's been a while. It's been a minute. So much has happened since our last recording, not just like in our lives, but in the world. Like, oh God, yeah. <laughs> what a year that, it has been, right? It's it's literally like we've just gone into the the second quarter of the year, and it's already fallen to pieces. <laughs> Honestly, it's awful. So much has happened. Can't even really so I, start talking about it because it's. <laughs> Well, let's let's not talk about it. This is the part of history that's not stunning. I mean, to be fair, there's a lot that we've talked about that mainly death. That's not stunning. To be yeah, fair. really calling me out on this, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what you're doing, it's not stunning. I'm sorry. I'm just offending you left, right, and center. Yeah, it just thanks. reminds me of like the the Disney episode where you thought you could get away with not not having anyone die and then i brought up that one person that died honestly so it's not just me it's both of it's us it's not just no yeah to be fair this is bad influence this is what it is this is this is from both ends this is from both ends well today it's probably gonna not make this or make me look any better with what we're gonna talk oh, about no. oh dad <laughs> oh you know I, I mean did i try to pick something not deathy not really. <laughs> I just kind of saw this and was like, yeah, yeah, we should talk about this today. So this is, oh, we haven't done this in so long. We're just chatting and not doing, <laughs> stop chatting and let's, uh, let's get into it because this is a, it's a little long, but, uh, hopefully it's interesting. Okay. So mm-hmm. on this day, the 23rd of May, 1934, this is 88 years ago. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde were ambushed and killed. <laughs> Death. I feel like I know why you did this. What, what do you mean why I did this? Is it because like the, the play for Bonnie and, Bonnie and Clyde is going on right now in London? Uh, well, not... Okay, not, I didn't really do it on purpose, but I knew it was on because I follow one of the actors on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and I just see these posts every day, like, come see Bonnie and Clyde. And I was like, oh, I wish I could. But such the musical's on. Yeah. There you go. The, wait, there's a musical? I thought it was just a... No, okay, it's a musical. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Musical. Oh. See, okay, I'm not going to lie to you. I glanced very briefly at um, uh, Jesse's Instagram story. Hi, Jesse. And um, I just saw that she went to watch it. And I was like, oh, that looks interesting. I didn't know that existed. And that's all I knew about it and when I went into London like earlier in the week I saw a poster for Bonnie and Clyde and I thought ooh mysterious well not really mm. mysterious we know what happens so yeah. <laughs> such mystery yes. yes yes no um kind of yeah not on purpose but coincidence I guess but I, mm. I wish I could see it because it sounds interesting but alas I'm in rainy old Brisbane sad face <laughs> That's so ironic. It's raining in Brisbane and there's actually sun coming through my window here in England. <laughs> well, when we're recording this, we just had like a week of rain and we're almost mm-hmm. flooding again. Like, because we had a flood, what, like two months ago? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Is everybody okay? Is Brisbane okay? Brisbane is chill this time around. Like, we're fine. But there are some little towns um, that have gone under again. Bless them. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh no. But you know. Anyway, <laughs> we're on tangents again. Okay. So Bonnie and Clyde. So a little bit about them. So Bonnie uh, was born Bonnie Elizabeth Parker in 1910 in Rowena, Texas. The second of three children. Her father, Charles Robert Parker, was a bricklayer who died when Bonnie was four years old. Her widowed mother, uh, Emma Parker, moved her family back to her parents' home in Cement City, an industrial suburb in West Dallas, where she worked as a seamstress. As an adult, Bonnie wrote poems such as The Story of Suicide Sal and The Trail's End, the latter more commonly known as The Story of Bonnie and Clyde. She's a bit of a poet. Jesus Christ, she wrote about suicide as a child, and then she relived one of her stories. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow, um, that's that's just unfortunate. Honestly, um, doesn't get much better because in her second year in high school, she met Roy Thornton, uh, and the couple dropped out of school and they married on September twenty fifth, nineteen twenty six, six days before her sixteenth birthday. She was fifteen oh. year old, went and got married, dropped out of school, went and got married. So, wait, there's is there no legal age for marriage well, back then? back then, or I don't know just... what it was. Apparently, willy-bloody-nilly, I can't <laughs> say the word I actually want to say, but yeah, it just seems a bit like, yeah, just screw it, whatever we want to do. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if there was, I mean, in the 20s, maybe not. Hmm. I mean, not it makes sure. me think of, um, have you read um, Lolita? By no. any chance? Um, so like the main character who basically starts off as a child towards the end spoilers um, she does marry someone else but she seems quite young oh. and I think she, maybe she's like 16 or something I can't remember it's a long time since I've, I've read it and seen the film with Jeremy Irons it's a very good film by the way um, but yeah it's it just always like bothered me that she was already like married at such a young age among other things that happened in the book that again if you haven't already if you don't even know what the story is how do you not know it's pop culture um but yeah like she yeah that just bothers me a lot but anyways okay. i assume there's no legal age or something i don't know i don't know wow the 20s i don't know man <laughs> they were crazy <laughs> Well, crazy I guess it was coming back around again. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. There, so they were so yeah, married at about fifteen, on the verge of sixteen. Uh, their marriage was marred by his frequent absences and brushes with the law. So she had a type, and it proved to be short-lived. They never divorced, but their paths never crossed again after January of nineteen twenty-nine. Oh. So they were married for about three years, and then just kind of didn't really see each other ever again well yes so that's a little bit about bonnie now clyde clyde chestnut barrow bless him chestnut (laughs) (laughs) was born in 1909 into a poor farming family in ellis county texas southeast of dallas he was the fifth of seven children um of henry basil barrow and cummy talitha walker what Man, a name. these middle names I don't even know like my Talitha mind's named after Talitha is a name I've never heard before in my life I really I really thought you said telephone for a second I thought oh, they're really going in with these names like my mind's Just named after Herb Basil, Basil. 
they just sound like random password words you would use just like what's the password to get into the secret club chestnut basil telephone <laughs> oh yeah it's all the speakeasies am i right yeah <laughs> speakeasy passwords <laughs> amazing <laughs> oh my gosh anyway so the Bowery family they moved uh to dallas in the early 1920s as part of a wider migration pattern from rural areas to the city where many settled in the urban slum of West Dallas. The Barrows spent their first months in West Dallas living under their wagon until they could get enough money to buy a tent. Wait, living under their what? Wagon? Why? Their wagon? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, all right. <laughs> I'm done, I'm done. Carry on. You're done now? Okay, good. So... <laughs> Clyde was first arrested in late 1926 at the age of 17 after running when police confronted him over a rental car that he had failed to return on time. (laughs) Little tots. His second arrest was with his brother Buck soon after for possession of stolen turkeys. They stole them turkeys. Oh, sorry. I really thought it was going to be something like a bit crazier, like stolen, I don't know. Cigars, booze, weapons, turkeys. Turkeys. They need to eat, mate. Need to eat. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Clyde had some legitimate jobs during 1927 through to 1929, but he also cracked saves. Saves? Tess. They cracked saves. (laughs) (laughs) Robbed stores and stole cars. Okay. (laughs) We're going off to a great start. (laughs) <laughs> this is great. Bear, bear in mind, it's been a while. It's so, been, oh my you gosh, know. it's been way too long. We're awful. Okay. So, how did Bonnie and Clyde meet? Because of biz, Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> Iconic couple. Several accounts describe Bonnie and Clyde's first meeting. Um, the most credible states that they met on January the 5th, 1930, at the home of Clyde's friend, Clarence Clay, uh, in West Dallas. Uh, Clyde was 20 and Bonnie was 19. Little babies. Bonnie was out of work and staying with a female friend to assist her during her recovery from a broken arm. And uh, this is a little story. I don't really know how accurate this is, but Clyde dropped by the girl's house while Bonnie was in the kitchen making hot chocolate. That's some detail there for you. Uh, (laughs) Both were smitten immediately. Most historians believe that Bonnie joined Clyde because she had fallen in love with him. She remained his loyal companion as they carried out their many crimes. But their romance was interrupted when Clyde was arrested and convicted of auto theft. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, that's basically the direction that this was going in any way. I mean, are we surprised? No, not really. No, there's no. no surprise. No surprise here. So Clyde was sent to Eastham Prison Farm in April 1930 at the age of 21 he escaped from the farm, prison farm, shortly after his incarceration using a weapon Bonnie smuggled to him. He was recaptured shortly after and sent back to prison, and Clyde was re- reportedly sexually assaulted while in prison, repeatedly, and he retaliated by attacking and killing his tormentor with a pipe, crushing his skull. And this was his first murder. I mean... I'm allow it. <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Step all out. So it's all fine. 
It's all fine. It's okay, no, guys. No, but I understand. You're being abused. Like, I get it. Yeah. It's still not, like... I'm not gonna... I mean, know. I'm not promoting the murder. <laughs> I'm just saying that I understand. So therefore, I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on from that. We'll allow it. Next, next crime, please. <laughs> um... Another inmate who was already serving a life sentence claimed responsibility for that death, though. So, in order to avoid hard labour in the fields, Clyde purposely had two of his toes chopped off in late January 1932. It's not clear if another inmate did it for him or if he did it himself. (laughs) This is... When I read this stuff, I'm like, I don't think... I'm a wuss. Like, I'm 100% 11 out of 10 wuss. I could never do that to myself. Even if it was like, if you do this, the worst thing that you would experience, you'll get out of it. I would still be like, no, nah, I can't, can't do. <laughs> like, <laughs> you want me to chop off something on my body? No, thank you. I can't even. I can't even do like a pin prick prick on my finger. Like, I'll just be listen, man. Take my toenails or something. Like, just yeah. cut my toenails the normal way. <laughs> just take cut, that. Just give me a little like manicure, pedicure. Cut all the nails. <laughs> That's fine, right? That's all the proof you need. <laughs> <laughs> the, the just oh, I just read these things and I'm like, man, I could never. Mm-mm. But you know, Mm-mm. I guess some people can. <laughs> well, I mean, have you seen you? Oh, abyss! Have I seen yes? So you know, I'm not. I know. Okay, <laughs> we're not gonna say what it is, but when I saw that particular part, I was just oh. I was yeah. cringing within myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I, like, I don't know how we how we could do it, but he did it anyway. Mm-mm. No, it's not thank for me. you. No. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just in a weird mood because I'm thinking about it. Okay, moving on, moving on. So, because he did this to his his feet or one of his feet, um, he walked with a limp for the rest of his life, which is probably something you've seen in um films or TV stuff about them. He has a limp. However, Clyde was set free six days after his intentional injury. Uh, Without his knowledge, his mother had successfully petitioned for his release. He was paroled um, on February the 2nd, 1932, now a hardened and bitter criminal. Mm. His sister Marie said something awful sure must have happened to him in prison because he wasn't the same person when he got out. And a fellow inmate, Ralph Fultz, said that he watched Clyde change from a schoolboy to a rattlesnake. So they real did a number on him. (laughs) I feel bad for him. Like, legitimately feel bad for him. Mm. Oh, well. Well, moral of the story, don't, don't go to prison. I mean, it's not something you could help sometimes. <laughs> it's don't not like do a anything choice. illegal. <laughs> okay, yeah, don't do anything illegal. Don't get caught and do don't anything get illegal. Caught. I love how I'm like, don't do anything illegal, and you're like, yeah, but don't get caught. <laughs> you're, you're not like guys, don't steal or anything. You're like, yeah, just just don't get caught. <laughs> just don't follow my life lessons, guys. And if you do, at least you know not to get caught. <laughs> just be careful. Oh my goodness. Okay. So after his release from prison, he and Fultz, the inmate, his fellow inmate, began a series of robberies uh, primarily of stores and gas stations. 
and their goal was to collect enough money and firepower to launch a raid against Eastham Prison, which was where they were incarcerated. On April 19th, Bonnie and Foltz were captured in a failed hardware store burglary in Kaufman, Kaufman? Mm-hmm. in which they had intended to steal firearms. Uh, Bonnie was released from jail after a few months when the grand jury failed to indict her. Uh, Foltz was tried, convicted, and served time. He never rejoined the gang, the Barrow gang. Probably for the best. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, um, I went to prison for this thing that we both did, so bike. <laughs> I mean, you he got caught. Like, he needs to learn his lesson now. <laughs> there you go. Don't get caught. <laughs> Gosh, guys. Okay, so Bonnie wrote poetry to pass the time uh, while she was in prison and reunited with Clyde within a few weeks of her release. She was a poet, and I guess she known it. <laughs> oh my god, I saw it coming the moment you hesitated. I was like, oh Jesus Christ, we're doing this. You had to. I committed. She, she's like, <laughs> she's like a stereotypical artist poet kind of person where she has like this tortured life. She has and to write it all like down. Attracted to danger and criminals. She likes bad boy. She wants to bad change boys. him. Just, I don't. Okay, right. Throwing this out there, hmm. just as a life, and a, this is a proper life lesson. Oh, another life lesson with Steph. We should get this like a, a theme song for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Um, enter theme song here. Um, but okay, if you are attracted to a. Um, bad boy kind of attitude or persona in another person it's not worth it i know the mental thought is i can change him he'll change for me no no they are they are not going to change for anybody like it's just not going to happen like i know that you're thinking that oh but this person like they're nice and they love me and they're going to treat me right but he's bad like bad boys bring heaven to to me like no it's not worth it it truly is not worth it just it's fun for like all of five minutes but on a what's the word on a a permanent kind of level permanent kind of basis is not worth it Mm-mm. just find somebody that's actually a nice person has their life together doesn't commit any crime or doesn't get caught and just <laughs> mainly and not getting just caught just happy yes. mainly not getting caught but go live your best life and be happy the bad person bad boy attitude for whoever it is they will figure out their own faults in time but by themselves mm-hmm. so moral wow. of story don't date bad boy personas yes mm-hmm. good job steph <laughs> no worries being there done that i got the t-shirt <laughs> got the t-shirt i got the hat oh. <laughs> you got the hat they got matching, merchandise for days matching merchandise oh so yes <laughs> No, I just right, have that Britney over. Spears song in my head, the criminal song. I feel like I haven't heard that one. Mama, I'm in love with a criminal. No? Oh, yes, I know that and one. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay, you didn't come here to hear me sing, so let's keep going. Oh, well, I definitely did. <laughs> okay. So, on uh, April 30, Clyde was the getaway driver in a robbery, uh, during which the store owner, J.N. Barker, I'm going to say, yep, was shot and killed. Uh, The victim's wife identified Clyde from police photographs as one of the shooters, although he had stayed inside the car. Mm -hmm. Mm. Maybe don't 
be a getaway driver either. I don't do crime. That's oh, the thought. Don't do crime. That's true. Um, on August 5th, <laughs> Clyde, Raymond Hamilton and Ross Dyer were drinking moonshine. It's the 20s. At a country <laughs> dance in uh, Stringtown, Oklahoma, when Sheriff C.G. Maxwell and Deputy Eugene C. Moore approached them in the parking lot. Can I just say all these people with initials in their name? Like, just letters in their name? Like, we had J.N., now we have C.G., and now we have a C in the middle of all the names. Like, own your names, guys. Wait, wait, are you telling me Eugene Seymour? Seymour is not his last name? No, the letter C, and then Moore is his last name. His name is such a red herring, because I thought his last name was Seymour. Oh, you were like Seymour, as in, like, suddenly Seymour, Little Shop of Horrors. Literally. (laughs) Literally, I was thinking exactly that. I was like, suddenly Seymour. Okay, well, they need to fix up their names. Just own your name. Like, don't be embarrassed. Even if it's something like Chestnut, you know? Just own it. (laughs) Chestnut, Basil Telephone, Cement City, Rowena Ravenclaw in Texas. Come on, man. (laughs) So, Clyde and Hamilton opened fire, killing Moore and gravely wounding Maxwell. Moore was the first law officer whom Clyde and his gang killed, and they eventually went on to murder nine more they had a thing for the feds feds police Fed. the feds. law law and order law <laughs> authority <laughs> all of the authority above. okay so <laughs> on october 11 they allegedly killed howard hall at his store during a robbery in sherman texas though some historians consider this unlikely i don't know why there's a dispute about it but I mean, it's done Put now. So. <laughs> um, w D Jones. Another, another letters. W D. W D Jones had been a friend of Clyde's family since childhood, and he joined Bonnie and Clyde on Christmas Eve, nineteen thirty-two, at the age of sixteen. He was a little baby, and the three left Dallas that night. Uh, the next day, Christmas Day, um, Jones and Clyde murdered Doyle Johnson, a young family man, while stealing his car in Temple. Clyde killed Tarrant County Deputy Malcolm Davis on January 6, 1933, when he, Bonnie and Jones wandered into a police trap set for another criminal. The gang had murdered five people since April. So we're... Oh my god. We're killing all round. And we walked into a trap that wasn't for us, but you know. This is like a lot more murdery than I thought because, uh, you know, when you said Bonnie and Clyde, I thought maybe like a couple people got murdered, not like a whole town of people got murdered. <laughs> like, a whole town of people, I've said five, and like that's a whole town. <laughs> but like from from the start up to now, a yes. lot of people died. You know, it's... skulls bashed in, people yes. being shot. Yeah, it's, it's they were pretty full on criminals. <laughs> Well, goddamn, they just surpassed the well, point damn. that I made to not do the criminal stuff. <laughs> or at least don't get caught. Well, shit. Wow. We've got to print t-shirts, don't get caught. On March 22nd, <laughs> on March 22nd, 1933, Clyde's brother, Buck, was granted a full pardon and released from prison. Runs through the family, you know? Mm. All in prison. He and his wife, Blanche. I was going to say Blanche, and I was like, no, it's American Blanche. Because I would say Blanche, Blanche with my accent. Blanche. Blanche. Okay, move on, Tess. His wife, Blanche, set up housekeeping with Bonnie, Clyde, and Jones in a temporary hideout in Missouri. So, according to family sources, Buck and Blanche were there to visit, 
they attempted to persuade Clyde to surrender to law enforcement. Uh, the group ran loud, alcohol-fueled card games late into the night in a very quiet neighbourhood, which, you know, don't be suspicious. Don't be <laughs> suspicious. And then, you know. <laughs> uh, Blanche recalled that they bought a case of beer a day. <laughs> they loved to beer. No neighbours went to the house, but one reported suspicions to the police department. So... <laughs> the police assembled five a five-man force in two cars on April 13th to confront what they suspected were bootleggers living at the residence. They're like, alcohol, yeah, no, alcohol. Wait, when did um, when did all this alcohol business happen? I literally was just thinking the exact yeah, same thing. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, talking about this alcohol. We're going to go- uh, Google intermission. Prohibition. In the states was from nineteen wow nineteen twenty to nineteen thirty three. So this is uh wait what year is this? <laughs> 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 oh, it's thirty three. Okay, March of thirty three, April of thirty three. Okay, it makes sense. Okay, that why they were like hoarding all this alcohol. Yes. <laughs> okay, we're back from our intermission of googling. So <laughs> learning all the stuff. Um. So the Barrow brothers and Jones opened fire, killing Detective Harry L. Another initial, another letter, McGuinness, outright and fatally wounding Constable J. W. Harriman. I just can't get over all these words. Bloody hell, I feel like it's like like, a code that we're trying to crack. I know, I was just about to say, should we guess what their names were? J and W. J, like, obviously, what, like, John. John's very obvious. John. Oh, yeah. John is, like, a really standard one. Or James. Or if they really want to be biblical, Jackson or something, Jeremiah. <laughs> Jeremiah. Oh, about a W. Well, W. The obvious W is William. William. Yeah. Or um, Wallace. Wallace. Uh, Walter. Wal- Walter's a good one. Okay. Um, <laughs> if they want to be super American, Washington. Oh, John Washington Harriman. I'm just gonna say that's his oh. name. yeah. Oh, that's Steve's great. Such American. No, okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, this is this is awful. I need to need to focus. So, Bonnie opened fire with a bar B A R in capitals. I'm assuming it's a weapon. I know nothing about guns. Don't come for me. I live in a safe country. As the others fled. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Casual aside, though, I live in a safe country. Moving on. (laughs) Also, just because I don't know if you've heard, probably not, there was actually a mass shooting today in the US and it's all over the news in Buffalo. And it just is like, honestly, I can't. It's gotten to the point where it's like desensitized now, where it's like, of course, of course that's happened. Moving on, moving on. Okay. So um, Bonnie opened fire while the others fled, forcing Highway Patrol Sergeant G B K Sorry, I just can't deal with these letters. To what, duck what behind G B G B like Great Britain. Great Britain. So so Great Britain, what what's his last name? Kayla. Kayla. Gary Barry Kayla. <laughs> Gary Barry. I love it. Let's keep that. <laughs> Gary I have to, okay, I know this is another tangent and off of what we were talking about, but there's this ad here in Australia, I think it's for like mm-hmm. um, flavored milk, like chocolate milk, and mm-hmm. he's like, "This guy's kid's just been born." Like, "Oh, what are you gonna name him?" And he was like, "Callum." And then they did this thing where they 
flashed through his life as like and his last name is Murray so they're like Callum Murray and like for all these things in his life there's like when he's a kid his teacher was laughing at him when he was at his wedding everyone was laughing at him and then he has a drink of that milk and goes let's go with Jack (laughs) and I was like oh that's brilliant brings you to your senses Callum Murray awful Callum Murray that's great (laughs) I mean I, I would hate to like name my kid something that will take the piss out of him. Hence yeah. why I've already like preemptive pre no, what's the word? Pre pre what? Preemptively? Preemptively, that's there it. I have preemptively chosen their names and they're all normal. No matter what last name well, is attached. Like if you go with yours which is heart, like that is such a nice I mean, unless you name them broken <laughs> or like <laughs> Could you imagine Diana heartbroken? <laughs> well, no, I was saying their first name being broken. Broken heart. Oh, my God. Broken hearts. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did I give you an idea? Guess what? My firstborn's going to be called. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Oh, my God. For a nickname, I could just be like, yo, bro, come here. Bro. Bro. <laughs> Is broken, though, a girl's name or a boy's name? I will make it unisex. I'll make it unisex. <laughs> we stand. Okay. It's for all the genders. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this highway patrol sergeant, he ducked behind a large oak tree when um, Bonnie opened fire. The thirty caliber bullets from the bar. I'm just going to keep calling it a bar because I don't know if it's I like need to look up what this weapon looks like. Calling it bar because it says bar. So... <laughs> I'm going to find this weapon because it's, I'm pretty I just sure it's imagine a big that it's ass a gun. Okay, okay. So that's what it looks like. What I imagined it would look like. <laughs> it's a, a set. Oh, it's bar stands for Browning Automatic Rifle. There you go. That makes sense. I'm going to call it a okay. rifle now because I. <laughs> it makes more sense. She has this rifle. She's shooting at him and he's hiding behind a large oak tree and. She hits the tree and forced wood splinters into his face. Oh. Awful. So, I don't know. We took so long to get through that piece of information. Was it worth it? I don't know. Yes. <laughs> it is. It's always worth we'll it. We'll keep going. Oh, my gosh. So, the surviving officers later testified that they had fired only 14 rounds in the conflict, one hit Jones on the side, one struck Clyde, but was deflected by his suit coat button, and one grazed Buck after ricocheting off a wall. So a bullet deflected off of his... He had a Are button, okay? like a fan- I guess a-, a fancy button, and it was like, bing! But, <laughs> but like a, a bullet hit a button. Right. That's yeah. such a specific like place to hit, and then he just got saved from that. That's mad. Mm-hmm. Lucky God was thing. on his side very briefly. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Uh, the group escaped the police, uh, but left behind most of their possessions at the apartment, including Buck's parole papers, which were only three weeks old. <laughs> they also left behind a large arsenal of weapons, a handwritten poem by Bonnie, of course, Bonnie, with her poems, uh, and a camera with several rolls of undeveloped film, which I believe is where these famous photos come from that everyone associates them with. So police developed the film at the Joplin Globe, which is the local newspaper, and found many photos of Clyde, Bonnie and Jones posing and pointing weapons at one another. 
I just love the idea of like that Spider-Man meme where they're just like pointing at each other, they're just like pointing guns at each other. Like, <laughs> surely that's like one thing you're taught in I don't know criminal school or something. I I don't know how it works anymore, but don't point weapons at each other. Just in general, don't point anything dangerous at somebody else. Like even scissors at some you don't you learn not to like run with scissors these people are pointing guns and stuff at each other for fun yeah. for the you know as they say shits and gigs and seriously for the photo shoot oh for God. themselves oh my days i hope it wasn't loaded actually knowing them probably was kids those days am i right oh nothing changes <laughs> So the Globe sent the poem and the photos over the newswire, including a photo of Bonnie clenching a cigar in her teeth and a pistol in her hand, which I believe is one of the famous photos of her. Uh, The Barrow gain subsequently became front page news throughout America, and the photo of Bonnie posing with a cigar and a gun became quite popular. So Mm. the group ranged from Texas as far north as Minnesota for the next three months, in May, they tried to rob a bank in Indiana and robbed a bank in Minnesota. They kidnapped Dillard Darby and Sophia Stone at uh, Ruston, Louisiana. In the course of stealing Darby's car, this was one of several events between 1932 and 1934 in which they kidnapped police officers or robbery victims. Mm-hmm. Crime. I feel so unimpressed. <laughs> It's just getting worse and worse. I mean, obviously it gets worse and worse. Um, They usually release their hostages far from home, sometimes with money to help them return. So I guess, I don't know. It's a bit of a weird thing considering that they were pretty careless with who they were killing. They were like, yeah, Mm. shoot you. (laughs) Drop you off, here's some money. (laughs) It's like, all right, thanks for the help anyways. Bye. Here's a fiver. Uh, Stories of such encounters made headlines, as did the more violent episodes. The Barrow gang did not hesitate to shoot anyone who got in their way, whether it was a police officer or an innocent civilian. Other members of the gang who committed murder included Hamilton Jones Buck and Henry Methvin. Eventually, the cold-bloodedness of their murders opened the public's eyes to the reality of their crimes and led to their ends. Dum dum dum. Very <laughs> doom and gloom. <laughs> the photos entertained the public for a time, but the gang was desperate and discontented, as described by Blanche in her account written while imprisoned in the late 1930s. With their new notoriety, I cannot not say that word like that now. It's awful. Notori- notoriety. Notoriety. <laughs> Their daily lives became more difficult as they tried to evade discovery, because guess what? Their faces were all over the newspapers, all over the country. They were basically famous. Congrats, guys. Well done. So restaurants and motels became less secure. They resorted to campfire cooking and bathing in cold streams. The unrelieved uh, round-the-clock proximity of five people in one car gave rise to vicious bickering. Uh, Jones was the driver when he and Clyde stole a car belonging to Darby in late April and he used that car to leave the others. He stayed away until June 8th, so he kind of bye-bye for a little while. So he did a run. He, yeah. <laughs> How rude. How rude. How he selfish. just oh. told them that, they, that their parents were dead and then left and came back five minutes later. It's rude. It's just rude. Clyde failed to see warning signs at a bridge under construction on June 10th. 
while driving with Jones and Bonnie near Wellington, Texas, and the car flipped into a ravine. Uh, sources disagree on whether there was a gasoline fire or if Bonnie was doused with acid from the car's battery under the floorboards, but she sustained three third degree burns to her right leg so severe that the muscles contracted and caused the leg to in quotes draw up here's a quote about it from jones who who saw all of it she'd been burned so bad none of us thought she was gonna live the hide on her right leg was gone from her hip (gasps) down to her ankle i could see the bone at places it's awful it's bad it's bad That's gross. (laughs) That is gross. That's gross. Oh my god. So I thought it was. Oh, I I didn't. It's her whole leg. I'm literally looking at my own leg, thinking like, how? Oh no. Yeah. That's really bad. Oh god. Okay. Awful. Yep. Um. So because of this, obviously she could hardly walk. She either hopped on her good leg or was carried by Clyde. They got help from a nearby farm family then kidnapped Collinsworth County Sheriff George Corey and City Marshal Paul Hardy, leaving the two of them handcuffed and barbed wired to a tree outside of Eric, Oklahoma. So, That's so extra. So extra. <laughs> you couldn't just, like, handcuff them. You had to put barbed wire. Oh, yeah, let's make it a little difficult, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the three rendezvoused with Buck and Blanche and hid in a tourist court near Fort Smith, Arkansas, nursing Bonnie's burns. Buck and Jones bungled a robbery and murdered town marshal Henry D. Humphrey in Alma, Arkansas. The criminals had to flee despite Bonnie's grave condition. So they're still going, still going. So in July 1933, the gang checked in at the Red Crown Tourist Court in Missouri. It consisted of two brick cabins joined by garages and the gang rented both. To the south stood the Red Crown Tavern, a popular restaurant among Missouri Highway Patrolmen, great destination, and the gang seemed to go out of their way to draw attention. So Blanche registered the party as three guests, but owner Neil Hauser could see five people getting out of the car. He noted that the driver backed into the garage gangster style (laughs) for a quick getaway. I'm going to now call that gangster style whenever I park like that. Blanche paid for their cabins with coins rather than bills and did the same later when buying five dinners and five beers. The next day, Hauser noticed that his guests had taped newspapers over the windows of their cabin. Not suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Blanche again paid for five meals of coins and her outfit, which were um, riding breeches, also attracted attention because they were not typical attire for women in the area. And eyewitnesses still remembered them 40 years later. Jesus Christ. You think you can get away with some fashion? Clearly you can't. No. Everyone's watching. Everyone's judging. That's That's awful. an awful thought. <laughs> Could you imagine? Do you remember that, uh, that riding gear that you wore 40 years ago? Yeah, it was hideous then. It's hideous now. It's hideous now. <laughs> Ew. Okay, so Hauser, Hauser told Captain William Baxter of the Highway Patrol, a patron of his restaurant, of course, about the group that was staying there. Clyde and Jones went into the town to purchase bandages, crackers, cheese, and atropine sulfate to treat Bonnie's leg. The druggist didn't realize they were called druggists, but there you go. He contacted Sheriff Holt Coffee, who put the ca- uh, cabins under surveillance. 
and Coffey had been alerted by Oklahoma, Texas and Arkansas law enforcement to watch for strangers seeking such supplies. So everyone was watching for him. They were looking out. They were waiting for him. The sheriff contacted Captain Baxter, who called for reinforcements from Kansas City, and uh, including an armoured car. They were ready. Sheriff Coffey led a group of officers towards the cabins at 11pm, armed with Thompson submachine guns. Pretty big-ass guns, I guess. <laughs> okay, okay. Again, at least those guns. are guns we don't have to look up. We know exactly which ones those are. Yep. <laughs> Tommy guns. You don't... Have you never seen Bugsy Malone? Uh, I ha- no, I haven't seen. I know what she is, but I haven't seen. Like, like the, I um, know Bugsy Malone, yeah. So you know the guns that have like the the round flat disc kind of barrel? Not barrel, sorry, but like that's where the ammo like runs through. I'm going to get a photo and show you what I a Tommy gun looks like. The only kind of gun I know about is a water gun <laughs> because that was terrorized by them in my childhood uh literally there are two different types of people (laughs) oh churchill used to have one okay that's that's what it looks like ah okay okay as you do as as you as you do i guess yeah here's me with my water pistol because that's all i know (laughs) okay so uh in the gunfight which ensued Obviously, the forty-five caliber Thompsons proved no match for Clyde's thirty caliber bah, or rifle, as we've now found out, uh, stolen on July seventh from the National Guard Armory in Oklahoma. The gun, the gun. I'm so oh, talking about guns too much. The gain <laughs> escaped when a bullet short-circuited the horn on the armored car, and the police officers mistook it for a ceasefire signal. They did not pursue the retreating vehicle with Clyde and the gang. Are you like, mad? I love how Are nobody thought mad? to be like, okay, is is this actually is this actually a ceasefire or is <laughs> They just went, Oh well, there's the horn, may as well. Everyone yeah, don't ask questions. Down. <laughs> don't ask questions. They'll come to us. Don't worry guys, we need to trust them on this. <laughs> so they got away, but the gang had evaded the law once again but buck had sustained now this is pretty awful so apologies in advance he uh, sustained a bullet wound that blasted a large hole in his forehead's skull bone and exposed his injured brain so i take it he didn't survive well <laughs> he, <laughs> so he and, and blanche was nearly blinded by glass fragments in both her eyes so they're both pretty bad and the barrow gang camped at dexfield park which was an abandoned amusement park near iowa dexter iowa on july 24th buck was sometimes semi-conscious and he even talked and ate so even with a hole in his head he was (laughs) eating and talking but his massive head wound and loss of blood was so severe that clyde and jones dug a grave for him (laughs) They're like, mm, he's he's gonna die from this. There's no way he's gonna survive from it. Well, well yeah, his yeah. brain is exposed. Awful. <laughs> so local residents noticed their bloody bandages, and officers determined that the campers were the Barrow Gang. And local police officers and approximately 100 spectators surrounded the group because, of course, you know, there's a murderous gang of people. Let's all go to them. <laughs> 
Imagine if they had iPhones at the time. Guys, quick, record it. Honestly, everything would be recorded. Live stream. <laughs> yes, live streaming. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Awful. And uh, but they, uh, the Barra gang soon came under fire. Clyde, Bonnie, and Jones escaped on foot. Buck was shot in the back, and he and his wife were captured by the officers. Buck died of his head wound and pneumonia. What a great combination. After surgery five <laughs> days later at King's Daughters Hospital in Perry, Iowa. Like, it's not enough that he had a hole in his head. He had to also get pneumonia. Like, <laughs> I mean, why not? <laughs> why not? They just had to, to fully, like, to, to do him in so badly. <laughs> it's awful. Okay, so for the next six weeks, the remaining perpetrators ranged far afield from their usual area of operations west to colorado oh, i say colorado <laughs> colorado colorado uh, colorado north to minnesota southeast to mississippi yet they continued to commit armed robberies they weren't like okay if you're on the run from like three different police departments across like different states are hunting you down mm-hmm. you're going commit more robberies like Stop! And not, just, not just that. Everybody's it's time severely to stop. injured. Where are your parents? What's that, Michael Jordan? Yeah, Michael Jordan meme where he's just like, "Stop it! Get help! <laughs> Get help!" Yes. Honestly, okay. So they're still robbing. They restocked their arsenal when Clyde and Jones robbed an armory in Illinois on August twentieth. They acquired three bars, those rifles, handguns, and a large quantity of ammunition. By early September, the gang risked a run to Dallas to see their families for the first time in four months. Jones parted company with them, continuing to Houston, where his mother had moved. He was arrested there without incident in November and returned to Dallas. Through the autumn, Clyde committed several robberies with small-time local accomplices while his family and Bonnie's attended... um, while his family and Bonnie's attended to her considerable medical needs. Sorry, that sentence confused me, but basically they were looking after her because she was still pretty messed up with that leg. Understandable. I, I mean, think afterwards, well, yeah, I think afterwards she basically couldn't walk properly because I think the muscle was all damaged in that, in her leg. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not a doctor, but... <laughs> On November 22nd, they narrowly evaded arrest while trying to meet with family members near Sowers, Texas. Dallas Sheriff Smoot Schmid. What? Smoot, S M O O T, Schmid. <laughs> Are we having another Google intermission? This is like our fourth one this episode. <laughs> this is. What is Smoot meaning? That's his name. <laughs> Oh, that's his name. <laughs> yes, his name is Smoot Schmid. That's a terrible name. It's also a unit of length. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Smoot is a unit of length. <laughs> it's oh okay. Uh, one unit of Smoot is equal to five foot seven. <laughs> oh, I'm one Smoot. <laughs> Can I put that on my driver's license? I am one smoot. I do not regret looking that up. <laughs> that was That's a good, good Google intermission, yes. 
Oh my god, I'm three inches away from being a whole smoot. Oh, you're so close and yet so far. Oh, if only you knew what it was like to be a full smoot. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, okay. <gasps> Diane! <laughs> oh my god. Let's power through this. So, the sheriff and the deputy, two deputies, they were waiting for them because they knew they were going to turn up. So as Clyde drove up, he sensed a trap. He drove past his family's car, at which point Schmid, Smoot Schmid, uh, and his deputy <laughs> stood up and opened fire <laughs> with machine guns. Okay. <laughs> Are you crying? <laughs> <laughs> oh his, name is, his name is brilliant. <laughs> I love it. We love it. Oh my god. <laughs> Let's go, let's go. So, the family members in the crossfire were not hit, but a bar bullet passed through the car, striking the legs of both Clyde and Bonnie. They escaped later that night. They just can't catch a break. They're getting injured left, right, and center, but they're somehow surviving all these, like, horrific accidents (laughs) and injuries. Like... It's like nothing else is getting injured. It's just their legs. It's from the waist down. On November 28th, a Dallas grand jury delivered a murder indictment against Bonnie and Clyde for the killing in January of that year, nearly 10 months earlier. So it took them 10 months to be like, you murdered these people, we're going to find you and arrest you. Um, It was Bonnie's first warrant for murder. Okay, so January 16th, 1934, Clyde orchestrated the escape of Hamilton, Methven, and several others in the Eastham breakout. I'm not going to go into too much detail because we have no time. I'm sorry. If you don't know about it, Google it. It's, they basically did a huge jailbreak. The brazen raid generated negative publicity for Texas. They're like, uh-oh. Um, Barrow gang member Joe Palmer shot Major Joe Crawson during his escape, and Crawson died a few days later in the hospital. This attack attracted the full power of the Texas and federal government to the manhunt for Clyde and Bonnie. As Crawson struggled for life, prison chief... Lee Simmons reportedly promised him that all persons involved in the breakout would be hunted down and killed. All of them eventually were, except for Methvin, who preserved his life by turning on the gang and setting up the ambush of Bonnie and Clyde. Played his cards right. The Texas Department of Corrections contacted former Texas Ranger Captain Frank Hammer and persuaded him to hunt down the Barrow gang. He was retired, but his commission had not expired. He accepted the assignment as a Texas Highway Patrol officer, secondarily assigned to the prison system as a special investigator, and given the specific task of tracking and taking down the Barrow Gang. Um, I'll quickly say, if you've seen the Highwaymen movie series or something on Netflix, this is how I saw it. This is where that starts. It starts with the prison break. So if you've seen it, you will Mm -hmm. probably know a bit about the prison break and... um, how it all goes down. Is that the one with um, Kevin Costner? I think so, yes. Yes. Okay. Right. I think it's only recent, like two or three years old. Hammer was tall, burly, and introverted, unimpressed by authority, and driven by an inflexible adherence to right or what he thinks is right. That was all in quotes. Um, I didn't make that up, I promise. So, <laughs> for 20 years, he had been feared and admired throughout Texas as the walking embodiment of the one riot, one ranger ethos. He was low-key scary, but got shit done. (laughs) 
Oh my god. Man off to my own heart. Right. Uh, <laughs> prison boss Simmons always said publicly that Hammer had been his first choice, although there was there is evidence that he first approached two other rangers, both of whom declined because they were reluctant to shoot a woman. <laughs> I mean, equality clearly was not a thing back then. Frank was like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> give like, me a gun. They're criminals. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> so starting on February 10th, Hammer became the constant shadow of Bonnie and Clyde living out of his car, just a town or two behind them. Easter Sunday, April 1st, 1934, at the intersection of Route 114 and Dove Road near Grapevine, Texas. It's apparently now called South Lake. Random information that I don't know anything about. Highway Patrolman HD, another initial, Murphy, Murphy, and Edward Bryant Wheeler stopped their motorcycles thinking a motorist needed assistance. Uh Uh-oh. Barrow and Methven. Barrow, by the way, I forgot to say. People forgot. Barrow is Clyde. Parker is Bonnie. In case I say their last names (laughs) instead of their first. Okay. Um, Clyde and Methven or Bonnie opened fire with a shotgun and handgun, killing both officers. An eyewitness account said that Bonnie fired the fatal shots and this story received widespread coverage. Methvin later claimed that he fired the first shot after mistakenly assuming that Clyde wanted the officers killed. Clyde joined in firing at patrolman Murphy. Just killing people still, so that's, yeah. During the spring season, the grapevine killings were recounted in exaggerated detail, affecting public perception all four Dallas Daily papers seized on the story told by the eyewitness, a, for- a farmer who claimed to have seen Bonnie laugh at the way that Murphy's head, in quotes, bounced like a rubber ball on the ground as she shot him. Yeah. She's crazy. <laughs> She's just psychotic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you have a leg that isn't really working anymore and you're still going around killing people and robbing people it's like okay why aren't you in bed <laughs> like i would just be why in, bed, in bed just like this is it this is my life now no leg working properly she, she's literally like that typical she's like a terminator before terminators were even a thing Such. you know she's just kept going she ke- she keep getting shot and injured and then she'd just be like yeah and then just keep going and keep yeah. killing the stories claimed that police found a cigar butt with tiny teeth marks supposedly those of bonnie Several days later, Murphy's fiance wore her intended wedding dress to his funeral, attracting photos and newspaper coverage. She lived for the drama. She lived for, you know, the exaggeration. I love it. The eyewitness's ever-changing story was soon discredited, but the massive negative publicity increased the popular clamor for the extermination of the Barrow gang. The outcry galvanized the authorities into action and highway patrol boss LG Fars offered a reward of $1,000 for the dead bodies of the grapevine slayers. Not their capture, just the bodies. Mm, so it basically okay. gave people a free pass to just to shoot them and kill them. <laughs> and that's like you giving them a free pass then to shoot and kill anyone who kind of looks like them. So like, that's oh, dangerous. That's like, <laughs> this guy cheated cheated on... on on me with uh with my i don't know whatever oh he looked like clyde or some shit i don't know i thought it was clyde uh yeah exactly texas governor ma ferguson added another reward of 500 dollars for each of the two killers which meant that for the first time there was a specific price on bonnie's head since she was so widely believed to have shot hd murphy 
So um, public hostility increased five days later when Clyde and Methven murdered 60-year-old Constable William, or Cal Campbell, a widower and father near Commerce, Oklahoma. They kidnapped Commerce Police Chief Percy Boyd, crossed the state line into Kansas, let him go, giving him a clean shirt, a few dollars, and a request from Bonnie to tell the world that she did not smoke cigars. So Boyd identified both Bonnie and Clyde to authorities, but he never learned Methvin's name. The resultant arrest warrant for the Campbell murder specified Clyde Barrow, Bonnie Parker, and John Doe, because he never learnt Methvin's name. The Dallas Journal ran a cartoon of its editorial page showing an empty electric chair with a sign on it saying, Reserved, adding the words Clyde and Bonnie. <gasps> I love it. Oh. The threat. The threat. Oh, okay, so we're getting there, we're getting there. So in May 1934, Clyde had 16 warrants outstanding against him for multiple counts of robbery, auto theft, theft, escape, assault, and murder in four states. Hammer, who had begun tracking the gang on February 12th, led the posse. He had studied the gang's movements and found that they swung in a circle skirting the edges of five Midwestern states, exploiting the state line rule, which prevented officers from pursuing a fugitive into another jurisdiction. 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 There we go. I did it. Clyde was consistent in his movements, so Hammer charted his path and predicted where he would go. The gang's itinerary centered on family visits, and they were due to see Methvin's family in Louisiana. Unknown to Hammer, Clyde had designated Methvin's parents' residence as a rendezvous in case they were separated. Methvin had become separated from the rest of the gang in Shreveport. Hammer's posse was composed of six men, Texas officers Hammer, Hinton, Alcorn, and BM Manny, Galt, and Louisiana officers Henderson, Jordan, and Prentice Morrill Oakley. Some of these names are like chef kiss. <laughs> Literally, like, Prentice Moral Oakley. Yes, <laughs> you can tell me what to do. Not in that way. I mean, like, he seems like he knows what he's doing. Fair do enough. Yep. Okay, we'll take it. We'll take it. Just, just. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jesus <laughs> On May twenty first, the four posse members from Texas were in Shreveport when they learned that Bonnie and Clyde were planning to visit Ivy Methvin that evening. The full posse set up an ambush along Louisiana State Highway one five four south of Gibsland towards Sales. Hinton recounted that the lawmen were in place by nine p.m. and waited through the whole of the next day. May 22nd, with no sign of the perpetrators. Other accounts said that the officers set up on the evening of May 22nd. So there's no real, you know, but they've been there overnight, at least one night, maybe two, who knows. So, on this day... (laughs) We got got there. there. On this day, at approximately 9.15am, May 23rd, the posse was still concealed in the bushes and almost ready to give up when they heard a vehicle approaching at high speed. In their official report, they stated that they had persuaded Methvin to position his trunk... Trunk? Truck. His trunk. (laughs) Like an elephant trunk. No, his truck. I just said trunk for no reason. No, his truck. (laughs) Okay. He's going to position his truck on the shoulder of the road that morning. They hoped Clyde would stop to speak with him, putting his vehicle close to the posse's position in the bushes. 
The vehicle proved to be the Ford V8 with Clyde at the wheel, and he slowed down as hoped. The six lawmen opened fire while the vehicle was still moving. Oakley fired first, probably before any order to do so, but, like, why would you wait? Go. (laughs) Clyde was shot in the head and died instantly from Oakley's first shot, and Hinton reported hearing Bonnie scream. The officers fired about 130 rounds. Mm-hmm. Emptying each of their weapons into the car. The two had survived several bullet wounds over the years in their confrontations with the law. But on this day, any one of several of Bonnie and Clyde's wounds could have been the cause of death. They just so, were like, shoot. <laughs> just keep going. They were just like, turn them into Swiss cheese. <laughs> Pretty much. And they got them. Okay. Taking no chances. So statements made by Hinton and Alcorn, two of the people in the posse. Each of our six officers had a shotgun and an automatic rifle and pistols. We opened fire with the automatic rifles. They were emptied before the car got even with us. Then we used shotguns. There was smoke coming from the car and it looked like it was on fire. After shooting the shotguns, we emptied the pistols at the car, which had passed us and ran into a ditch about 50 yards um, down the road. It almost turned over. We kept shooting at the car even after it stopped. We weren't taking any chances. No, they weren't. <laughs> Actual film footage taken by one of the deputies immediately after the ambush show 112 bullet holes in the vehicle, of which around one quarter struck the couple. The official report by parish coroner Dr. J.L. Wade listed 17 entrance wounds on Clyde's body in 26 on that of Bonnie, including several headshots to each, and another severed uh, Clyde's spinal column. So they pretty they went for it. They're pretty much dead. <laughs> the deafened officers, because it was so loud, they were kind of deaf soon afterwards. Like not not permanently, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, they inspected the vehicle and discovered an arsenal of weapons, including stolen automatic rifles, sawed-off semi-automatic shotguns, assorted handguns, and several thousand rounds of ammunition, along with fifteen sets of license plates from various states. They're criminals. Obviously. Really? I don't think we'd establish that at this point. Guys, sure. it's official. You heard it here first. <laughs> They're criminals. So, Emma stated, I hate to bust the cap on a woman, especially when she was sitting down. However, if it wouldn't have been her, it would have been us. You yeah, don't have true. to explain yourself, mate. They're pretty bad, you know? Like, they I ain't gonna they ask questions. And... Yeah, like, Regardless of if Bonnie was female or not, like she still did some pretty horrendous things, and she does have to atone for that. So, forget her gender for all of five seconds and just shoot her ass. Exactly. <laughs> so, word of the deaths quickly got around when Hammer, Jordan, Oakley, and Hinton drove into town to telephone their respective bosses. A crowd soon gathered at the spot. Galt and Alcorn were left to guard the bodies, but they lost control of the jostling, curious crowd. One woman cut off bloody locks of Bonnie's hair and pieces from her dress, which were subsequently sold as souvenirs, and Hinton returned to find a man trying to cut off Clyde's trigger finger and was sickened by what was occurring. (laughs) Yeah, people were still awful back then as they are today. (laughs) That's disgusting. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, a bit of clothing, okay, I kind of get it. But someone's literal finger, like, what? what is wrong mm-hmm. with you? 
that's just going too far Look could you up. imagine like having to especially if the, the dude wanted to keep it as well like having to go this kid's like in 50 years this kid's is a glad trigger finger you know how i got it i stole it from him <laughs> and the kid's being like sure jan <laughs> sure no one would believe Literally. you okay oh my so God. <laughs> arriving at the scene the coroner reported um this i believe is all in quotes Nearly everyone had begun collecting souvenirs such as shell casings, slivers of glass from the shattered car windows, and bloody pieces of clothing from the garments of Bonnie and Clyde. One eager man had opened his pocket knife and was reaching to the car to cut off Clyde's left ear. They just wanted body parts, man. They're obsessed. Hinton enlisted Hammer's help in controlling the circus-like atmosphere, and they got the people away from the car. The posse towed the Ford with the dead body still inside to the... Con- Conja Furniture Store and Funeral Parlor in downtown Acadia, Louisiana. Preliminary... I'll get to that, your face. I will get to that. <laughs> I know what you're about to ask, and I will come. I will cover it. Preliminary embalming was done by Bailey in a small preparation room in the back of the furniture store, as it was common for furniture stores and undertakers to share the same space. Right. Yeah. Okay. That was just so weird. Could you imagine, Dad? I want to open a furniture store. Well, too bad, son. We got none. Okay. Bring on the dead here. body. <laughs> Honestly. So the population of the northwest Louisiana town reportedly swelled from two thousand to twelve thousand within hours. Curious crowds arrived by train, horseback, buggy, and plane. Beer normally sold for fifteen cents a bottle. But it was jumped up to 25 because of biz. Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> and sandwiches quickly sold out. So it was like no food and beers were nearly twice as expensive as they normally are. Henry Barrow identified his son's body, then sat weeping in a rocking chair in the furniture section. <laughs> no, when you put it like that, it just sounds so funny. No, don't do that. Doesn't it? They have a little section for people. like, And you can sit on this rocking chair and have a little cry. Just as he's crying, just pat, pat, pat. <laughs> just like, so, um, so what do you think of the chair? <laughs> Would you like this rocking chair to take home? As a little souvenir. You as know, a reminder of your son's death. <laughs> oh, gosh. The other thing that I think is so funny is that people were like, they obviously heard about it from other towns. And their thought first thought was, I'm going to go there. And like, I'm going to get a train. No, I'm going to get on a plane and go there. For what reason? I don't know. Uh, people That's are weird, not, man. Like, you know people left their jobs to go to this. Right. You know for a fact. And you know me. I'm a true crime weirdo. But if mm-hmm. something like this had happened, like I'm in Brisbane, if it would have happened in like Sydney or Melbourne and it was like a one or three hour flight, because Sydney's a little over one hour, I wouldn't just walk out of my job, get on a plane to Sydney and be there like that's just the weirdest thing ever i would be like <laughs> like no that's pretty bizarre like considering where we used to work that's one of those kinds of places where something went down it mm. went down and i like remember when we would be at work and then if you just like heard overhead stuff going on i just kind of looked up looked outside and went 
that's none of my business and carried on <laughs> like i did not hear that keep working literally because mm. if there's like shootings or something crazy going on i don't want to be a part of it i don't want to get shot i mean obviously no one was getting shot at the time when this was happening mm-hmm. but like if dead bodies and stuff arriving through i'm sorry i'm not gonna like traumatize myself to get a piece of the action well the tea is i'm nosy as hell oh my god <laughs> i am so nosy but like am i nosy enough to fly to another place no <laughs> No. If it's in, within my vicinity, oh, you better you better know I'm finding out what's happening. I'm like, what's going on? What's happening? If it's like if it's outside the window of where you live and you can see it from a safe distance, yeah, fine, yeah. okay, whatever. Yeah. But if it's like I'm gonna leave my whole ass building to go and see this thing, yeah. and also I'm gonna try to take off this guy's ear. Oh. No, yeah. <laughs> but like issues, even like in out in the job we had, but also in my new job at the moment, if. Like, if I see security going somewhere, or if I see them... Because in my job at the moment, security kind of pop up if something's happening. It may not be anything major or exciting. It's just, you know, it's just something's happening. Mm-hmm. I immediately just walk over. <laughs> What's happening? What are you looking at? What's going on? Like, <laughs> I can see it now. You're in the middle of conversation with your colleague, and then you see security, and you're like, one moment, Jen. <laughs> you just walk over to them. I just want to know and sometimes I'm just like I'm super sub- subtle about it too like I'll just walk over and I'll just like pretend like I'm working but I'm really like looking like what's happening <laughs> what's, can I see what's going on and then if I didn't find out like an hour later I'll just be asking around like so what happened earlier does anyone know what happened <laughs> I'm like so nosy I can't help it I just can't help it okay I want to know oh, all the tea goodness. I want to know all the tea <laughs> that's an insight into my weirdness okay so well, okay, we're so close to the end. I know this is very long. We're nearly there. So H.D. Darby was an undertaker at the funeral parlor and Sophia mm-hmm. Stone was a home demonstration agent, both from nearby Ruston. Do you remember them? We remember them. We remember they them. Kidnapped. They were kidnapped by them. So both of them came to Acadia to identify the bodies because the Barrow game had kidnapped them in uh, 1933, the year earlier. So... Um, Bonnie reportedly had laughed when she discovered that Darby was an undertaker. She remarked that maybe someday he would be working on her. And Darby did. He assisted Bailey with the embalming. That irony. I love that. Okay, so funerals and burials. Let's go through this real quick. I don't know why I'm dancing to like the idea of a funeral <laughs> and a burial. Doing like a Okay, so Bonnie and Clyde wished to be buried side by side, but the Parker family, Bonnie's family, would not allow it. They're like, mm, no. Uh, her mother wanted to grant her final wish to be brought home, but the mobs surrounding the Parker house made that impossible. More than 20,000 people attended Bonnie's funeral and her family had difficulty reaching her gravesite. It's a bit weird that... I don't know whether it's just people like me who are really nosy and like, let's go to the funeral and see what they say. Or whether people were genuinely like... <laughs> stands or something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, Parker's services were held May 26, a few days later, and the largest floral tribute was sent by a group of Dallas City newsboys. The sudden end of Bonnie and Clyde sold 500,000 newspapers in Dallas alone. <laughs> so pretty much everybody in Dallas bought a newspaper when, when oh all this went down. Oh god. That's so they were like, we better give Bonnie some flowers for <laughs> a funeral. Um, Bonnie was buried in the Fish, Fish Trap Cemetery 
although her body was moved in 1945 to the new Crown Hill Cemetery in Dallas. Don't really know why, but that's where she, I believe that's where she still is today. Thousands of people gathered outside both Dallas's uh, funeral homes, hoping for a chance to view the bodies. <laughs> people, I don't know if it's just people in general or this these people in this area, like in <laughs> in that part of the country. But anyway, so Clyde's private funeral was held at sunset on May 25th. He was buried in Western Heights Cemetery in Dallas next to his brother, Marvin. The Barrow brothers share a single granite marker with their names on it and an epitaph selected by Clyde. Gone but not forgotten. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely not forgotten. <laughs> to the American National Insurance Company of Galveston, Texas, paid the life insurance policies in full on Bonnie and Clyde. Since then, the policy of payouts has changed to exclude payouts in cases of deaths caused by any criminal act by the insured. That's so awkward though. Imagine <laughs> if like you had to do a Walter White or something and you did it for I don't, I want to say a good reason at first. Anyways, we're not going to talk about that part. But, you know, what if you were doing it for your kids, for your sick parents or something and then you got you died and then they didn't get the money in the end for their medicine or surgery or to take care of them don't get caught (laughs) full circle your advice is valid (laughs) okay all right okay don't get caught kids Uh, okay, I think I I think we have to like clarify here. We'll take your your advice first. Is just yes. don't do anything illegal. I mean, we should preface this by saying don't listen to us at all. <laughs> like... I mean, that's true. <laughs> okay, so the six men of the posse. That word is just so funny. Okay, move on. Where each <laughs> they were each to receive a one sixth share of the reward money. Mm-hmm. I can't do math. Wait, how much was it again? The I think it was, I think, well, it was a thousand and then some random dude was like 500 on top of that each. So it should really be 2000, I think. No, but if it's 500 each per person. For Bonnie and Clyde, I think. Oh, okay. I think, Um, I think. Oh, okay. I'm about to, um, I don't know why I made us do math because I'm about to talk about it. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) and you know how much I hate to math anyway. So. The Dallas Sheriff Schmid, Smooch Schmid, had promised <laughs> had promised Hinton that this would total some twenty six thousand dollars. I don't know where he okay. got that from, but apparently so he was like maybe it's five hundred per person. Maybe involved? or maybe like all the different departments had different rewards, and altogether it was twenty. I don't know, but most of the okay. organizations that had pledged rewards funds reneged on their pledges. There you go. I. It's not, it's like I don't even know my own research. <laughs> what even is this? So in the end, each lawman earned $200.23 for his efforts and collected memorabilia. They were given mem- memorabilia. Well, they're giving earlobes and fingers. I think mainly clothing and uh, hair. Okay, so <laughs> by the summer of 1934, new federal statues, statutes, made bank robbery and kidnapping federal offences. So if you did this, the FBI... <laughs> FBI will get involved. The growing... Sorry. Wait, 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 wait. The who? No, stop it. The growing... <laughs> <laughs> 
the no. FBI. No, stop it. So the growing coordination of local authorities by the FBI plus two-way radios and police cars combined to make it more difficult to carry out series of robberies and murders than it had been just months before. Uh, Bonnie's niece and last surviving relative is campaigning to have her aunt buried next to Clyde. There you go. So they're not together. Okay, so we only have a little bit left. So I thought we'll quickly remind ourselves of these poor victims because Bonnie and Clyde killed 11 people, including nine law enforcement officers during their two years of criminal activity from February 32 to May 34. So, oh, would you know it? They actually have the names of the initial people. So we're going to find out if our guesses on who these names were were right. Okay, so... I want Gary Barry to be right. (laughs) So, our first victim, J.N. Bucker of Hillsborough, Texas. Um, His name is John Napoleon. Quite fancy. That's kind of cool. Yeah. That's a great name. He was uh, murdered. (laughs) Oh. I have to remind us that these are the victims, uh, so we need to chill out. Okay. He was the uh, first murder uh, April 30th. 1932. Deputy Eugene Capel Moore of Atoka, Oklahoma, August 5th, 1932, was when he was murdered. Howard Hall of Sherman, Texas, murdered October 11, 1932. Doyle Alley Mayers Johnson of Temple, murdered December 26, 1932. Deputy Malcolm Simmons Davis of Dallas was murdered January 6, 1933. Detective Harry Leonard McGinnis of Joplin, Missouri, murdered April 13, 1933. Constable John Wesley, or Wes Harriman, of Joplin, Missouri, murdered April 13, 1933. Town Marshal Henry Dallas Humphrey of Alma, Arkansas, murdered June 26, 1933. Prison guard Major Joseph Croson of Huntsville, Texas, murdered January 26, 1934. He was the one um, in the prison break, murdered during the prison break. Patrolman Edward Bryan or Ed Wheeler of Grapevine, Texas, murdered April 1st, 1934. Patrolman uh, Halloway... Daniel H.D. Murphy of Grapevine, murdered April 1st. And then Constable William Calvin or Cal Campbell of Commerce, Oklahoma, murdered April 6, 1934. So they killed people. <laughs> Quite a lot. Uh, bless them. Mainly law yeah, enforcement, but um, still awful. Okay, so we'll wrap it up with what happened with all their stuff post-death right like what happened so the posse never received the promised bounty on the perpetrators so they were told to take whatever they wanted from the confiscated items in their car in bonnie and clyde's car hammer appropriated the arsenal of stolen guns and ammunition plus a box of fishing tackle under the terms of his compensation package with the texas doc in july clyde's mother wrote to hammer asking for the return of the guns she says in quotes, you don't ever want to forget my boy was never tried in no court for murder and no one is guilty until proven guilty by some court. So I hope you will answer this letter and also return the guns I'm asking for. What is there? She, she, is she, she's in denial that her son killed people. Probably. Most likely, yes. But, but everybody knows, knows that he killed people. Like, yep. it's not a secret. It's nope. not like an undercover thing. He actively was seen killing people. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. 
<laughs> Five stages of grief, you know? Mm-hmm. Once mm. the gun's back. Anyway. So um, weird. So weird. The last part we're going to talk about is the car. Obviously. Mm-hmm. So, Jordan attempted to keep the death car, but Ruth Warren of Kansas, the vehicle's legal owner, sued him. <laughs> That's my uh-huh. car. Jordan relented and allowed her to claim it in August of uh, August 1934, still covered with blood and human tissue. Uh. <laughs> the engine still ran. <laughs> Despite the damage the vehicle took during the ambush, it was still fine. So Warren picked up the car in Acadia and drove it to Shreveport, still in its gruesome state. From there, she had it trucked to where she lived in Kansas. Okay, so you, she she didn't drive the car, no? She obviously, well, like, towed it she, It became a popular traveling attraction. She made money out of it. It was displayed at fairs, amusement parks, flea markets mm-hmm. for three decades. Not surprised. Like, like into the 60s. And, <laughs> and once became a fixture at uh, Nevada Racetrack, mm-hmm. there was a charge of $1 to sit in it. You want to go and sit in the car? <laughs> but where is it now? So in 1988, a casino near Vegas purchased it for a quarter of a million dollars. And as of 2022, the car and the shirt that Clyde was wearing when killed are displayed at Prim Valley Resort and Casino in Prim, Nevada, alongside Interstate 15. And that is on this day. That <laughs> That is all I have. That's enough, I think. I, I think this one might be my favourite one. I'll tell you. I don't know what it is about it. but It's the smoot, isn't it? <laughs> It was be honest, be honest now. It was the discovery of smoot. <laughs> you learn so many things with these, but no, I, I genuinely don't know what it is that that I like about it so much. But this one, maybe it was like the the chase, you know, mm. basically trying to track them down for so long, and then they finally get them. And the fact that Frank Hammer and his his team were about to give up, and mm. then they heard the car coming. Imagine if they had given up an hour before. Right. Would have missed him. It would have been crazy. Like, so much more would have happened in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Probably would have died later on. Maybe they would have got away. Maybe, I don't know. There's a lot of things that would have happened, but, like, it would have been for an interesting um, turn of events. Obviously, a lot mm-hmm. of people, a lot more people would have died, and we're glad that that didn't happen. Yeah. But yes. I'm, I'm glad that, that they heard the car when they did. Yes. Well, they've also made such an impact post, um, you know, post, post death. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, uh, there's a lot of sayings. Like if you were to, I think, you know, the, the phrase Bonnie and Clyde just as like mm-hmm. a pairing is quite common. And, yeah. um, uh, there, there's a lot of TV and film made about them. So in saying that, if you haven't already seen the highway men on Netflix, I would highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. It's quite informative and it actually goes it's it is mainly about the guys who did the ambush but it also shows a bit about uh Bonnie and Clyde and what they got up to. So if you're interested mm-hmm. in it, I'll give it a go. Mm. Plus like if you remember the scene where the car gets towed in with their body still mm. in it and people are like touching it, crying yeah. and like the whole um the just whole, being like, nosy street really. is just filled with people. Yeah, just being nosy and 
kind of like low-key idolizing them even though there's mm. nothing to idolize they were they were criminals yeah um but yeah no it's it's a good film kevin costner is amazing um just in general not just that film <laughs> and uh <laughs> and yeah it's i think this is definitely my favorite story i think it's i nice. like the chase yeah. yes well i hope you guys enjoyed it just as much as steph did because she's obsessed we love obsessed <laughs> Well, I think we better wrap it up because we've been talking for way too long. So, yes. um, we're finally back. Sorry, it took about seven months. <laughs> yeah, but we life, unfortunately you know, have lives, yeah. life, and everything happening. Uh, so, I hope everyone listening is is well, <laughs> is safe, yeah. is is happy, and all trying to be in this in this world we're living in. Oh my god, let's not go into it. Uh, Tess is <laughs> too depressed by it all. Um, so thank you for listening. Hopefully we'll have another one again soon. Maybe in seven months' time. <laughs> Maybe for Christmas. We'll, have, we'll do a Christmas special. Uh, so look forward to that. Um, and uh, if you haven't already, we're on Instagram. I'm plugging it because I'm a beast. Go and listen. Go and follow mm. us on Insta. Also, if there's any like stories that people want to hear about, any like particular events that they go oh my god i want to hear about this i i've heard something vaguely but i want to know the full story we'll cover it yeah let us know talk to me i need friends oh my god <laughs> apparently i'm tessa's only friend so. <laughs> and you don't even live in the same country as me that's just so depressing so that's the end of today's episode finally i know you're so relieved <laughs> i am <laughs> no we've had fun so um i've been tess I've been stuff. This has been the stunning history of today. And we've been stunning because we always are. Uh, and uh, hopefully, I don't know how to end this. Hopefully, we'll have another one coming soon. Uh, come follow us. Come listen. Come be my friend. All that jazz. Anything you'd like to say before we go? Um, what is our Instagram handle, Tess? Uh... <laughs> oh, my God. T-Shot. T-Shot podcast. There you go. There we go. I was about to look it up. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's T-Shot podcast. Anyway, thanks for listening. We love you. <laughs> yes, apparently we do. <laughs> I'm getting desperate. I'm starting to just tell people I love them. Okay, okay, <laughs> that's enough. Okay, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.